Welcome. Pull up a chair, fill your mug, get comfy, join us at the table for the most unusual tea party. Here's your host and graphologist, Teresa Abram. Welcome to Season 3 of A Most Unusual Tea Party where we use the letter T to unlock a person's story, giving us an unusual look into the mystery guests who join me at the table. I'm Teresa Abram, a handwriting analyst and graphologist, and if you are curious about decoding the messages of the subconscious mind, then pour yourself a mug of something yummy and join me at the table. This season of the podcast, I don't know my guests before they join me at the table. All I know is their name, what their handwriting looks like, and that my mug is on hand. But before I spill the tea on what I'm drinking, you're going to find out who our mystery guest is at the same time I do, and you're going to find out what their love language is. So without further ado, let's find out who our mystery guest is today. Today on the Tea Party, we have the lovely Heather Craig joining us from Scotland. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you and thanks for having me. I cannot say how excited I am to be on here and figure out what you know. I am a sales trainer slash coach type person and I say this because I developed a sales role-playing game which is the main basis for what I do. The way that works really quickly is it's like fantasy sci-fi type interactions right we go ahead we meet up I talk to you we figure out what your sales character class is there are six of them as opposed to the normal two ways we get taught that you're meant to do sales so there's six different approaches here you get given your character sheet and then we have a very small group of people that you're in and we just go off and argue with dragons and fight stuff it's great but while you're doing that because of the character sheet you're strengthening your various ways of thinking about sales and your skills and sort of building up those muscles for problem solving and teamwork and pitching and persuading and all that fun stuff. So it's something I'm very proud of. How does somebody get assigned which role they are? Is it a test that they take? Is it through an interview process? There are two parts to that. For the character sheet itself, there is an interview process. There's like six questions. We go through them and I can figure out what you are. Basically, I am picking between classes as we speak all the way down until we narrow them to your main class and then your second class. I can't really explain that part of it very much more than that. No worries. That's kind of like me when I'm doing a compatibility analysis. It's, there's certain things that I'm looking for. We've got lone rangers and we've got other types of people as well. So there's that for the main part. And then I also have everyone gets this little elemental companion. And that one is a lot easier to assign. So I actually have a quiz for that on my website that people can take and find that out right away. And what is your website, Heather? It is salesrpg.com. And if you're looking for the quiz right at the moment, it is still on the homepage, but the dedicated page for that is slash find dash elemental. I really like, and I love the fact that there's no rolling the dice involved. Sometimes when we're playing, I will get you to roll the dice if I cannot <laughs> arbitrarily decide what you want to do. But frankly, we don't need it. That's a throwback to when I was younger and we did the RPGs with, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and those blasted roll of the dice that sunk you. Similar. I mean, I'm not mean enough to my players, to be completely honest here. I have been trying to get one of them to die 
for the best part of a year. It doesn't matter which one. I'm not picking on anybody because I built a how to get back from that sub quest that I am dying to use. Nobody's died yet. It's very disappointing. They've come close a few times. And then it's not a dice roll that saves them. It's because they legitimately have a good idea for getting out of the situation. And I'm like, internally to myself, well, dang it. Now I can't actually kill you because we're supposed to reward these things. I really look forward to checking that out, Heather. That just sounds like such a unique and fun way of exploring a topic that can actually be not so fun. Yeah, sales is one of those things where I think people build up a lot of resistance to the idea of doing it and a lot of assumptions about how they're supposed to go around doing it. You know, when I first started doing the game, actually, it's pretty funny. I'll tell you the smallest side. I was planning on doing more traditional sales coaching throughout the week, and then the game was meant to be a reward at the end of the week. So I roll up to my first beta with my first people planning to run it that way. Within about a week and a half, it became apparent nobody cared about the traditional sales coaching at all. Didn't matter because they were learning it all within the game itself. And it sort of allows people to come face to face with their blocks without seeing them coming and running away. And it takes a little bit of the pressure off, right? You're playing a game. You're having fun. It's not like you're... I know. Your pressure is like, it's a fascinating thing to watch. I've seen it happen to a few people now because we've run it a number of times. They'll almost be like, there is less pressure around it because they're not physically selling right now, but it still matters because their character is themselves. They don't get to pick someone else. You're the one doing these things. So there's a level of realness and accountability to that. You're taking the best of really two different worlds there and putting them into one. Yeah. And in traditional sales, yeah, you do role playing, but it's boring role playing. Like... Oh my God, the famous one is, sell me this pen. And you're like, who cares about your damn pen? Convince me that this is the pen to buy. I used to be a builder and I was taking courses to become a master builder. And one of them that I put off until like the very end was communications and negotiations because the whole basis of it was role playing. And I'm just like, oh gosh. Role playing can be fun or it can be complete drudgery. Whereas we do the same thing, but you're telling a very angry dragon in human form, say, not to go to war with the neighboring kingdom without getting blown to bits. It's fun, right? That would have been awesome. Still nobody's died. But anyway. (laughs) Ah, well, hold on to the faith that eventually somebody will. Somebody will die and then we will get to go on the subquest sooner or later. (laughs) You will. You will. Eventually somebody will run out of lifelines. They will run out of ideas. (laughs) Yep. Well, that is so fascinating. That is really cool, Heather. Thank you for sharing that. I'm just trying to put together what you've told me about what it is that you do and then transition into your your analysis because that is so much fun. And then I'm looking at my analysis though. So we're just going to launch into it because the first thing that just strikes me about your handwriting is the size of it. It's teeny tiny. Really? I used to write smaller than that. Oh my goodness, I'm glad you're getting bigger. It is teensy tiny. Certainly one of the smallest samples that I've received, especially by the end of the page. Ah, uh, yeah, because I'm running out of space, you see, and I still had stuff to say. Yes, indeed. And so you just, you know, you go right with that and you really shrink the size of your letters, although you still keep the spacing between your lines large. Between your lines, it's actually larger than your line of writing. It, it's an interesting um, way that you use the space. Well, otherwise it looks cramped. <laughs> you like your space and you definitely don't want things overlapping and being disorganized. 
So for you, that's something where you like to be neat. You like it to be laid out and to have no confusion. Now, the problem is though, with that teeny tiny writing, there's probably a little bit of a push and pull happening here because what that usually is representative of is somebody who does have some inhibitions. There is some indecisions and there's sometimes that second guessing where you're, you're not actually solid in where you're at. A little bit. I'd say that's fair. I'm sure it makes for an interesting push and pull for you. I will tell you something then that will make sense of that. Uh, This year I was diagnosed with ADHD. I did not even suspect until last year at some point. So, you know, for me, a lot of my life has been kind of putting routines and schedules in place so that I don't forget or um, let things fall through the cracks or because the thing is, I learned early on that if I wasn't organized, people would keep telling me that I wasn't living up to my potential. And that bugged me. That probably explains part of it, I would imagine. Definitely, that explains the push and pull. There's like that efforting to stay organized and be organized. And yet at the same time, there is that very focused, this is where I am and that indecision too. So that was the most striking thing. But the other thing that I really noticed, Heather, is that your lines go a little bit on a downhill slant. Oh, so they do. It's, you know what, but it's all good. So not to worry about it. It's a wonderful sample. And, you know, ultimately handwriting is about communication and you're simply transmitting information and your handwriting is still legible and I can still read it. So it is successful in every way that handwriting is supposed to be. As you can see, they just slant, they go downhill a little bit. And in some places they even do a little bit of like a a stair step. I would not have noticed that. They do a nice little staircase down. And for me, when I see something like that, Heather, what it really says is just, you know what? Sometimes you need to take a rest. Ah, yes. I know that you have kindness. I know that you show it to other people. And I think when I see that staircase step down like that, it really says that it's time to show some of that to yourself. Give yourself a rest. I cannot refute this. Right. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's something that pops up a lot because you do have this feeling that you have to go, go, go. You have to work harder. And kind of like what you were saying where you people were telling you you weren't living up to your potential. As an entrepreneur, if you're not doing something towards your business, sometimes you have people saying, well, why aren't you working on it? Yeah. Or even if they're not saying it, sometimes it's your bottom lines telling you, hey, you're not working hard enough, even if you are. The mind games we play with ourselves, right? Yeah. So when I, I do see that, it does indicate to me that, you know, You could definitely, you you might be looking at things, maybe that bottom line a little bit too realistically, a little bit too critically, and you might be just nourishing out a bit on those dreams and hopes and faith that it's all going to work out and you're doing a fantastic job. And just laughing because yes, that would be me. (laughs) Well, you can own it. You know what? That's all that this is about, right? It's just owning it and saying it is who I am. So let's take a look at your T's. Do you have quite a variety of different ways that you cross your T's? Yep. And that's awesome, right? That's and, and I think that's interesting because what you're talking about is like you actually do role-playing yeah. for sales, which means you got to have a lot of different hats and you kind of got to, you know, adopt to different styles and ways of thinking and recognize them and embrace them and understand them. So having a variety of teas totally fits in with what you were just talking about there. But there's two in particular that I want to talk about. 
Okay. The first T is a very interesting one because you start at the top of your T stem, you come down, and then it bounces up and over to mm -hmm. the right. A useless probably the most, to be fair. Yes, you do do that one quite a lot. It is one that you go down, bounce up and over to the right. And in fact, you don't actually end up crossing the T stem. No, I don't. I just decide that that is in fact a T. I can tell it's a T good enough. Exactly. You can tell, you know, the reader can tell and you're just going to carry right on. And I love that you even know that you do it. Yep. Was there something in particular, like for you to actually know that you're doing that, you're aware of it. Was there something that happened? I don't even remember when I started doing that, to be honest. I just, when I started writing more often, and this was years ago now, so vaguely remember. It just, my handwriting got a lot sloppier for a while. By sloppy, I mean, I would add extra letters and mix, miss letters entirely and squish them. It was a mess. After that, I got better at writing quickly because I think quite quickly. So when I'm rushing to get it done, often I am moving to the next thought before I'm done the first word. So when I'm paying more attention to that, what we get is something like the sample you've got, where those are the T's I make. And I don't go back to them because I then look at them, it's a T. Exactly. It does totally work as a T. It does the job that it needs to do. So that's interesting and fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And I love what you're talking about. It's like, it's just that sign. Your brain is fast. You're moving fast and you're not going to go back to fix it. Because that T is very indicative of a very specific love language. And it is not physical touch. But when I see a T like that, what that indicates, because in the rest of your writing, it's very straightforward writing. It's very simplified. There's no ostentatiousness. You don't have embellishments and adornments anywhere in your writing. I do have loops. Well, you have loops in the right places. You don't have extraneous loops. Fair. I suppose that's fair. Right. Some people will add extra curly cues and loops and snakes and squirrels and all sorts of stuff. And you have none of that. So it indicates to me that you are somebody who has a very factual outlook and mindset. Yep. Yep. She says <laughs> very matter of factly. To be fair, I deal a lot with emotions, but I'm much happier dealing with other people's emotions because those are solvable. And I tend to, when I'm looking at things, I focus much more on your facts and what makes sense and what is logical and how it works, which does make my profession an interesting one for me, actually, but it works quite well. Yeah, you can still adapt it to make it work for you. That's interesting that you say that you work with the emotions and as long as it's on them, you're good with it. I'm aware of mine. I just don't like having them. Yeah. And you were talking about you do have loops. When you said that, which loops were you thinking of specifically? Uh, on my Ds and my Gs. So interesting that you should mention that because the loop on your D stem is actually an indication towards what your love language is. Okay. Because when you have a loop there, that one isn't one that we're taught. We're not taught to put the loop in the D stem. Although there's so many people that have a loop in that stem that it has become something that's very standard. And it does show that you're sensitive to criticism. It does show that when somebody says something negative about you, you take it to heart and it can hurt. Oh yeah. I remember these for years. Like I might not let them affect me for years, but I remember them. You're going to remember them. Exactly. You hold on to it. You remember, and it can actually affect, you know, what you do. You might end up changing what you do or how you act or what you say around a person based on what they say to you. Yeah, that's fair. So that's what that looped D stem. And it's interesting that you even know about it. It's like, yep, 
That is a very specific well, one. The reason I know about it quite so much, my D's and S's are usually the ones that would get smushed together or weird or get added extra if I wasn't paying attention. So you're saying I don't really have extra loops, but when I am thinking, sometimes I get entire extra letters that are loopy. Right. But that's a different thing, right? That's not ostentatious. That's not embellishment. That's not adornments. That's not flourishes for the sake of flourishes. That's just a fast brain and your hand and everything just kind of, you know, whatever. I just, it was funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, I can see what you're saying there for sure. And you do have some loops, but those loops are supposed to be there in your G's, Mm -hmm. right? The G's where it's not a completed loop, those are the ones actually that have a little bit more emotion tied into them than the G's with a completed loop because there should be a completed loop in them. So we like to see the completed loops in your G's, although sometimes I think you might even remind yourself to complete them. Sometimes I do, yes. It looks that way. There are yeah, some telltale there's a signs. Couple. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, right? Sometimes that's how it starts is you have to remind yourself to consciously do something. Mm-hmm. The other T that I want to talk to you about, you already knew the one T where you go down and you bounce up and to the right. Mm -hmm. The other one that I want to mention is this most interesting and unusual T that you do when you connect it to the O. (laughs) Well, that would be because it's efficient. You see, you do the T and then you wrap up at the end. But you can see it's the same sort of thought as the T's I have where I do actually cross the T after because it actually gets written as the L and then I get to the end and do the T. But if it's just like a T with an O, Mm -hmm. it's right there. It's a very short. (laughs) It, It is indeed. And you don't pick up your pen when you want to cross the T's that are next to the O's. Nope. And what happens is just for the listeners so they can understand it is you write the down stem of your T, you go into the O, but instead of stopping at the top of the O and picking up your pen to cross the T, you carry on with that stroke from the O, touch the T stem and bounce off of it. Yep, that is exactly how that works. And essentially what happens is it's basically, if you see it really zoomed in here, you can see how you cross your T stem twice Mm -hmm. because you take it. You hit the T-stem, it goes a little past, and you bounce back out again. But the first one doesn't count because it's gone the wrong way. It still counts. No. <laughs> it all counts. <laughs> when you cross your T twice, it has a very specific meaning. Now, you seem to be very self-aware about your writing already. Mm-hmm. What do you think that crossing a T twice might mean? That might be an attention to detail thing. Like, Because I don't consider it as twice. I just think of it as we get to the place and then cross it. So So good guess. When I see a sign like that, it indicates to me that there's somebody who's a little bit anxious and you're going to second guess yourself. So again, it relates to that small size. I can see you being the type of person that you might, you know, leave the house and you'll be in your car and you're like, did I remember to lock the door? Did I turn off the oven? Oh, I have entire systems for that. Like when I got my car last year, what I must do so that I know I have locked the car is I keep my keys in my hand (laughs) until I physically lock the car. They don't get put away between me getting out of the car and locking the car ever. And if I walk away with them still in my hand, I'm like, "Uh." yep. And that your tea there, that's the tattletale tea that lets me know that that's exactly same. You know, if you're leaving your house, did you lock the door? And you probably have a system to make sure you know that yes, you lock the door. So you don't have to go back and check. Very similar to the car key. In a way, it's an attention to detail, but it's kind of attention to detail 
taken to the next level? Funny thing. I never used to be particularly concerned about it. But um, then when I was living in Canada, I was like, for a few months there, while my then boyfriend was off in a different province, it was just me in the head. So I was cooking away. And one day I was making myself rice around lunchtime. And I had the bright idea while it was heating up to the bubble to just go and check one more email in the other room. And then I went into basically a hyper-focus mode. I now know that that's what that was, but like I was there for a good 45 minutes because I did my email and then I went straight onto something else and was absorbed. And then eventually sort of <laughs> poked my head up and went, oh, smoke, rice, blackened onto the pot, room full of smoke and not the cute smoke, no, no, the black smoke. So I'm never allowed to do anything else while I am cooking. Unless I am physically next to the stove. <laughs> At that point was when I was like, okay, I can't trust myself to remember random things anymore. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> and you know, when you're talking about that hyper-focus with writing like yours, where it's so tiny, that is very much a key piece of it as well, is that you do really like to focus. Once you start focusing in on something, it has your absolute attention. Because writing that small takes intention and it takes attention. It's much easier to write big than it is to write small. Most of the time when I write too, it's my journal I'm writing in. I do that every day for however many pages it takes till I'm done thinking my thoughts. When I'm focusing on that, I'm really putting order to my brain so I can go and do things and come up with new stuff. So yeah, I suppose I'm used to focusing when I write. I would say so. Thank you for sharing your story about the cooking. You know, I think when I look at your writing overall, uh, you know, just as a, a general sort of wrap up for it. It is very condensed, but it's still very connected. Overall, it's legible. You've got your I dots in place, your T's are crossed sometimes twice. And it really does indicate that your ideas can move continuously from one to the next in a linked fashion. So now that we've taken a look at all of your handwriting, Heather, let's take a look at it in the perspective of a love language. Yep. Now we know that it is definitely not physical touch. No, it's not. That. No, but there are two that I feel probably would be fairly close together for you. And the first one would be the words of affirmation. I think that you really do appreciate it when you are recognized and seen and told. I mean, you're not wrong, but shockingly, that was not in my top two. <gasps> that is a shock. Okay. I know. I find that surprising as well, actually. But I think... My explanation for that not being higher is that I'm quite careful about whose words of affirmation I will listen to. Like, we need to have an established level of trust there, or it doesn't matter to me what you say. Right. Because you've put up your defenses, I would say. Yeah. Because you've been hurt before, and so you're not willing. Oh, enough times. that It's become enough of a pattern that I'm like, okay. Yes. I will trust you so far compliment me if you like it's not going to mean anything till you're actually one of my people right and that's a really good distinction to make is when you you do have to think about in context of a close relationship if your partner was not to tell you how much they recognize the hard work that you were doing or the creativity that would I think be a blow for you it's not the most important thing for me but it's certainly up there it's certainly up there because the second one was acts of service the second highest percentage but it's not the highest. I'm going to say it's got to be quality time. 
it is quality time. But I'll tell you the percentages because it will probably make you feel a bit better. Quality time was my highest one. It was 37%. Acts of service was my next highest at 23. And then we have a tie between physical touch and words of affirmation at 17%. And then poor little receiving gifts at 7%. Yeah, yeah I don't care. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely no receiving gifts. That's clear. That one's definitely not there. So, oh, interesting. Okay, so quite substantial in favor of quality time. I know, it's interesting because I'm sure... I've taken the test before a couple of years ago and words of affirmation was the highest then. Not quite sure what's going on there because I took it before we got on the call today. So theoretically, that's the accurate one. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see as you move forward um, because in some ways, when I look at your writing, I see signs that if you had too much quality time, you would be like shrugging them off. Oh yeah, that definitely happened my last relationship, actually. It got really smothering, and especially because he paired it with a lot of physical touch as well, which is fine, but it's not really my main thing. It got to the point of like, no, I'm done. Go away. Yeah, and that's why I, I hesitate for the quality time is just because there are definitely signs there that if you were to have that consistently, you could get to a point where you're just like, okay, enough already. I need my space. All right, well, let's see how I do here, because now I'm going to talk about trying to find the lie, because somewhere in your sample, you were trying to deceive. Yeah, you told me to put in a factual lie, so I did put in a factual lie. Very good. <laughs> Whenever I look at spotting a lie, the first thing I'm always looking for is any anomaly. Is there something that seems out of place in comparison with the rest of your handwriting sample? Because anytime I see something that's different, it means there were some emotions going on and your nervous system might have been engaged. And so you start changing things around. This will be really interesting for me because I don't actually get emotional when I lie particularly. But having read through my sample again, I'm like, hmm, fascinating. This will be fun. Enjoy. I'll explain once you've guessed. Okay. I actually have two spots because there's two spots where it goes a little bit haywire. When I turn your sample upside down, it's the best way for me to be able to see where do things go haywire? Where does it fall apart so that the anomalies really pop out at me when I turn a sample upside down? So when I do that with yours, the one spot is right in here where you talk about 10 years before. Uh -huh. That goes a little bit strange in there, but... When I read it in context, I also think, given what you're talking about, it would make total sense for you to be a little bit emotionally charged yeah. in that regard. So I said, you know what? I'm okay with that. The next part, though, that kind of popped out at me was when you said seven next year. <laughs> because compared to the rest of your teensy-tiny writing, that next is actually pretty it's big. Pretty pronounced. Is actually pretty, <laughs> right, that is. And that E is kind of inflated. I'm like, look at that E. There's actual space in there. Sure. I don't even have to magnify it to see it. And your X is quite, the cross on your X is quite pronounced. There's a lot of pressure on it. Your Y is also looped, which is a little bit of an anomaly for you. You do do that one other place in the years before, but that's the only other place that you loop your Y. Usually it's open. So I'm going to say seven next year. You're trying to deceive me in some way right there. He's five and a half just now. When I was writing it, we were in 2020. 
That is, in fact, the lie. Well done. <laughs> it is the lie. It is the lie. All right. High five. What's funny, though, is because I read it back and I actually have a bit at the end of that paragraph where I'm saying it seems like it's fine for now and my four has two R's. And that was truth when I was writing it. But um, I've since actually taken him out of school and he's being home educated. <laughs> so this whole bit in here, it's fine for now is like so many warning signs in there. It's like, I don't think it's really fine. But that's more that unconscious lie, deception, not intentional. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting in a deception. You're welcome. We'll put this one on a win column for the spot the lie. So thank you for doing that. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with you and learning about you, not just from your handwriting, but from your lovely and engaging personality as well that's coming across. Thank you. During our talk, because I knew that you were in Scotland, I did pull out a whiskey. I have an Aaron Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, which is non-peaty and fairly new distillery, but oh my word, is it good. They can be. That's to honor you. How about you, Heather? What have you been drinking? What's in your mug? Well, I was drinking water because I completely forgot. I do have a mug sitting here. It has hee-haw. Nothing. Hee-haw. <laughs> All right. I've never heard that one before. Well, now you have. Now I have. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being on the podcast with me. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening. If you're wanting to hear more from Teresa and her guests, be sure to subscribe on the platform of your choice and follow her on Instagram at handwriting underscore PI. Hey, did you know that the best compliment you can give me is a referral to someone else? Please help spread the word about a most unusual tea party and my guest and share it with your network or someone who might find it interesting. If you enjoyed the show and want to know more about graphology and what Teresa is doing, be sure to head over to the website at www.handwritingpi.ca slash hashtag newsletter and subscribe to Handwriting PI's newsletter. You'll get early notice of future guests on the podcast. You'll see full samples of the handwriting and get more tips for analyzing handwriting on your own. And if you have it in your heart, leave a tip in the tip jar found at www.handwritingpi.ca. The Tea Party is professionally edited by the amazingly talented Casey Broda. If you would like to contact her or inquire about her services, look for at Casey Broda on Instagram. That's at C-A-S-E-Y-B-R-O-D-A. And finally, if you want to have an audio handwriting analysis done, like you hear here on the show, send us an email at handwritingpi at gmail.com asking for information about our AHA program. Thanks for listening.